this certainly will close out the month of September for Wednesday night and certainly up and coming Sunday. As we enter a new quarter, our final quarter of the year, or as some retailers call it, the golden quarter, meaning that we have 88 days of shopping still, so don't get too excited about that. Certainly uh, appreciate you all being here tonight. We're going to be covering some different things. We're going to be in the book of Luke this evening, actually chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. I'd like to, prior to that, kind of give us an update. All of us understand that Terry and Kim are not here. Well, as you recall, last week, Peter explained that they were going to go to Albuquerque to celebrate Terry's father's 80th birthday, a wonderful trip that they had. And so they departed Albuquerque to go to a wedding in or about Orlando, Florida. And so also to visit Terry's brother who lives there in the area. Terry and Kim's flight was to come back on this Thursday, tomorrow, but obviously all the flights have been canceled. And so the next available flight certainly looks like it will be on Sunday. And I know that uh, both Terry and Kim and all of their family, in fact, I know many people there in Florida, would greatly appreciate our prayers for safety and protection from this massive hurricane. So let's go ahead and do that at this time. Heavenly Father, we, we come here tonight unified as one body, as one church, and ask that you watch over Terry, Kim, and all of their family. Give them a peace, dear Lord, that passes all understanding, for we know that you and you alone are in control. And we pray, Father, for all those who are stranded, all those who live in the state of Florida, that you be with them, that you cover them, dear Lord, with your feathers and under your wings as you are our refuge. Psalm 91 states that you and you alone are our refuge and our fortress. And we ask that you give all those first responders, those in law enforcement, all the wisdom, the guidance, and not let them be afraid of the terror of the night nor by the arrows that fly within this day, for you are with them. We also, dear Lord, pray for this message this evening, that it may open our eyes and fill our hearts with your word as we study. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Okay. To whom it may concern was usually how I would address a letter when asked to give a reference. Well, it could be a young boy or girl who was getting ready to go to college. They needed a letter of reference, something nice to say about them. Or it could have been maybe an employee that worked for us in those years, and they were going to go to Dallas or out of town, and they needed a letter of reference that might help them gain a job. It could have been somebody who's going to join an association or maybe even apply for a bank loan. And I always took that feat very seriously because... I always would ask myself, what would I want somebody writing about me? And I took it very seriously in that I really wanted to get it right. And so we look tonight at the story about Luke in chapter 5, not so much him, but certainly about Peter. But I do believe that Luke, in writing this gospel, he 
wanted to get it right. As you know, Luke was a very educated man. He was a physician. He was very detailed, did a lot of research, and certainly talked to many people who had eyewitnesses account on the teaching and the miracles of Jesus. He traveled many days with Paul out of the Mediterranean. Luke's gospel, of course, was very credible, truthful, certainly was, as all words are, divinely inspired. And I believe he knew the impact of those words, to whom it may concern. Luke wrote this gospel not just for you and for me, but for all the millions and millions of people, knowing that the impact that could have on someone's life. If I were to title this talk or a theme, I might would say it's called A Story to Remember, one of obedience, surrender, and faith. Tonight we're going to turn our attention to Luke chapter 5. If you'd like to open up your Bibles, fine. We're going to be in chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to be speaking, we're going to be learning about the greatest fishing story that was ever told. Oh, I know you've had some fishing stories, I'm sure. I have some fishing stories. But none ever surpassed what we're going to look at this evening. I'll just give you one fishing story of many. Some years ago, my dad, myself, my cousin, we all went fishing in Guaymas, Mexico, actually in a bay of San Carlos. It was a beautiful experience. We went several times. And we were out fishing in the bay area, And we were fishing mostly for mackerel and different types of species and caught quite a few, actually. And it was time to come in because it was getting a little bit warm. And my cousin, Charles Donald, asked my dad, Uncle Charlie, we had Charlie Sr., Charlie Jr., Charlie Donald. We had a lot of Charlies in our family. And he said, I really was hoping we could catch some red snapper. And my dad said, well we would have to go way out in the blue waters, if you will, in the deep waters, because to catch a red snapper, we have to fish anywhere from three to 350 feet deep. Here in this translucent green water we're in, we're fishing about 90 to 100 feet. And he said, well, where is the blue water? He said, well, look way, way out there, and you'll see a distinct line drawn between the green and the blue. That's how far we would have to go. And looking at that story to some degree, I think we could all probably suggest to ourselves, sometimes it's very easy to get comfortable. Sometimes it's very easy to fish in our own pond, our own world, our own area of expertise But tonight we're going to begin to realize that if we want to go where God wants us to be, we'll never get there staying where we are. And that does require a leap of faith to go into the deep water, the blue water. Story begins, of course, in Luke chapter 5, verse 1 through 11. So it came to pass it was a multitude pressing about him to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake and saw two boats standing by the lake. But the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. 
Then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land. And he sat down and he taught the multitudes from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep, shall we say into the blue water, let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered him, Master, we have toiled all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish, and their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats, so they both began to sink. When Simon saw this, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish which had been taken. And also there were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. So when they brought their boats to land, they forsook all and followed him. So we're reading about this story just kind of prior to that. This story happened about a a year after the first encounter, if you will, that Peter had with Jesus. You might recall, of course, in John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus was walking near John the Baptist. When John the Baptist saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God. In response, two of John's disciples, both John and Andrew, began following Jesus. So you can imagine what they're hearing, the words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. Jesus turned to them and said, What is it that you seek? What what do you seek? And John and Andrew both responded by asking, Can we spend time with you? We seek you. After a while, it didn't take long, they believed certainly Jesus was Messiah. Andrew, so excited, he had to go find his brother Peter. So he went and he brought Peter to Jesus, introduced him. And that time Jesus said to Peter, You are Simon, son of Jonah. You shall be called Cephas, meaning rock. They all then followed him more. They followed him to Galilee, where Jesus, certainly at the wedding feast, turned the water into wine. They followed him to Jerusalem for the cleansing of the temple. And they watched him perform many miracles and heard him speak numerous and numerous times. That would be the first, if you will, time that Peter first met him. Well, for some reason, it doesn't really say why, at some point in time, Peter decides, hey, I'm not sure where Jesus is going. Maybe I'll catch up with him. I'm going to go back. I'm going to go fishing because that's what Peter did. He was a fisherman. That was his world. That was his area of expertise. 
and perhaps catch up with Jesus a little later. And sometimes in our life, I know for me, I get excited and I'm going to read a lot. I'm going to read the whole chapter of whatever it might be. I'm going to read a lot of Psalms today. And, and, I, and I try and I do. And then all of a sudden something happens and I, I get distracted. I, I've got to go here. I, I've, got to, I've got to get this done first. And then all of a sudden I find myself really to the point where I'm doing my own routine. The second encounter, of course, once again, this is prior to this example we're going to speak about. We would read in Mark 1, Matthew 4, that Jesus sees as he walks upon the Sea of Galilee. On this occasion, he was by himself. He got up very early, so he didn't have all the crowds around him at this particular point. And he sees the boats, and he saw that Peter, certainly Andrew, were casting their nets. Now, I don't know the conversation that went on there. I know that sometimes when I've gone fishing and you're fishing, all of a sudden somebody walks up to you, hey, you gotten anything yet? Uh, I don't know the conversation, but I do know that Jesus said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Luke 5 is not that account. That exchange happened before this story. The healing of Peter's mother-in-law happened before this story. In this story here, we see that they were washing their nets as opposed to casting. Here, the fishing is over. Again, they did follow him. All but for a while, one thing is clear, that Jesus came back again. Jesus is very patient with them. Jesus is very patient with us. He already knows what we're going to be doing. He already knows what Peter's thinking, but he keeps coming back. There's a reason. There's a purpose. And God has a purpose for us. He came back and realized that they were gone. And so this now sets up the story, this third encounter, if you will. And here in this story, we see a very deliberate action on the part of Jesus, as described that a multitude of people were following him. The people were amazed. They were astounded by what was coming off the lips of Jesus. They'd never heard this before. They'd never seen these kinds of miracles. They were staggered. The words that they were hearing, they had been waiting for over 4,000 years to hear the words from Jehovah God, mesmerized, if you will. And so, as they followed, they began to press up against him. If you've ever been in a crowd, sometimes you feel like, hey, I'm getting kind of pressed up here a little bit. I remember sometimes I'd go to the Sun Bowl and I'd get caught in that tunnel, trying to get out of there, or trying to go to the snack bar just to try to do anything and it's sometimes you have a crowd pressing it and so this is what was happening so what happened at that time he realizes that hey if I'm going to talk to the crowds I'm going to have to do something a little bit different and so what he did was he saw that the boats which Simon and Andrew were in 
he asked if they would push their boat out just a little bit so he could now talk to the crowds, have a better, perhaps, view, and more people might could hear him. So Peter pushed out the boat just for a little bit. He sat down and began teaching the people from the boat. We don't know how long he was teaching from the boat, maybe in an hour, maybe an hour and a half. I suspect it was a little longer. I think it was probably getting more towards midday because it was starting to get warm. When Jesus had finished teaching, he said to Peter, now move the boat out and launch out into the deep and let your nets down for a catch. Now these nets were no ordinary nets. These were handmade nets. They were extremely thick. It's not something you could go to buy at a sporting goods store by any means. Very well put together, very heavy. It took a lot of energy and a lot of calluses, if you will, that they had in pulling up these nuts or even letting down those nets. Well, Peter then looks at Jesus and he kind of gives Jesus his spiel, if you will. Maybe something to the effect, Master, he, he certainly recognized in his authority, uh, we caught nothing. Well, Jesus already knew that Peter didn't catch anything the night before. He set that whole thing up. He probably told the fishes, get out of his net. Don't go in here. Go into somebody else's net. You're not going to this net tonight. So he already knew that. And he begins to reason, if you will, uh, saying, I'm a fisherman. You're a carpenter. Uh, You grew up on a hill. I grew up on this lake, the Sea of Galilee. I know all there is to know about fishing. I know all there is to know about the temperature of the water, where the fish are, what time the fish like to eat. I was practically born with a hook in my mouth, if you will. I know everything there is to know about fishing. I'm a professional. I'm an expert. It kind of reminded me when I began to read that of a story. You may have seen the movie Forrest Gump. And a classic, classic scene. When Forrest is on the bus, he meets his best friend, Bubba. They were going to camp, ending up going, of course, to Vietnam. We're extremely close. Well, in that encounter, Bubba's sitting next to Forrest. And before long, Bubba begins to tell Forrest, I know everything there is to know about the shrimping business. I know how shrimp are prepared. Grilled shrimp, fried shrimp, shrimp scampi, shrimp creole. Everything you want to know about fishing. Everything you want to know about shrimping. And I think that's kind of the way Peter was thinking. Maybe he was feeling. He's done it all of his life. He might have thought even, you know, Jesus, I I need you in a lot of areas in my life. I do. But I'm okay here. This is my world. This is where I am. This is what I do. I'm okay. I got it. Master, we worked all night. We caught nothing. Jesus being in complete control as he always is. And then Peter goes on to say, we've caught nothing. We're tired, we're exhausted, we've toiled all night. Nevertheless, I will let down the nets. So now we see a little change in Peter's thinking. He, he was trying to reason and he realized that 
who he's talking to. And so he finally decided, and he made that statement, nevertheless, at thine your word, I will let down the nets. Six, verse six to seven says that after they had done this, they enclosed or captured a great quantity of fish and their nets began to break. So they signaled over to other people there in the area, certainly James and John right there, come by, come over here, help. As you see there, he's saying, come over here, help. Look at all this, all this fish that we've got here because our boat now is beginning to sink. So they went over there to help. And as they got closer to the boats, they also began to sink because now they were catching the biggest catch that they've ever had at all. And when that happened, Peter was overwhelmed because he knew that this never happened like this. It wasn't supposed to be this way. We've fished here many, many times. We've never seen anything like this. And at that moment, Peter fell at the knees of Jesus and said, depart from me as I am a sinner. These are not the words of a happy man who just landed a perfect catch. And Jesus said nothing about sinning. He didn't say, yes, you are, Peter, you're a sinner. He wasn't there talking about sin. This was fishing. Well, what's going on? What do you think is happening here? Because Peter, along with other disciples, they heard Jesus speak almost a year before that they went with him and they watched him perform miracle after miracle. They were there when certainly Jesus at the wedding feast turned the water into wine. They, they were there at all the miraculous sights. When Jesus healed Peter's mother-in-law, he didn't get down on his knees and say, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinner. He didn't see the miracles. And every time he saw one, he knelt down and said, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinner. So why now? Jesus needs to get into the world that we are most familiar with. He had to get into the world that Peter was most familiar with. The place he felt most confidence. The place that we feel sometimes we're the expert. I've got everything else covered, but here I'm the expert. And Jesus knew that the only way was to step into his life, especially when we think we know more than he does. This miracle, it so took him, it so shook him that he, he knelt down. His heart was literally breaking at this time. His heart felt pricked because of what he saw, and now he realizes he is in the moment here with the deity with God. And he knew that. And that's why he was so overwhelmed. He was in the presence of the Lord. Isaiah 6 says, Woe to me, I cried, for I am a man of unclean lips. And Daniel 9, Set my face unto you, Lord, to seek by prayer and sackcloth and ashes. Jesus had to let Peter fail where he thought he knew best, a place where he was less dependent on him. 
And I know Jesus certainly has come a lot and many, many times in my life where I sometimes feel I'm the expert. And when I really realize that, he lets and he comes into my world. The learning lesson here is to understand that Jesus in any area of Peter's life, in any area of our life, that Jesus is way, 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 way smarter than we are. He's way, way smarter than we are being the smartest in. In the world we need him the least is when he comes. It's when we fail. It's when we surrender. It was by the obedience in the area Peter needed him the least is when he saw this miracle. In relationships, in life, sometimes you may feel, I fished all night, Lord, I'm tired. I don't know if I can keep going on. I don't know if I can let go of this, this anger that I have or this resentment that I have. Nevertheless, never less than God's word to let down those nets. In, in the area of raising kids, sometimes uh, we get worn to the bone in our, our hands. We, we get in a life of chaoticness, and we don't know what to do, where to go. Things are just going so fast and furious. As Jesus would say, and he did to Peter, never less than my word. At thy word, I will go deeper. I will lower the nets. In marriage, in business, Jesus is way, way smarter. Sometimes you feel like your tank is out of gas and so overwhelmed. Nevertheless, at thy word, by our obedience, he steps into our world where we need him the most. When we say, I know it works, I know the routine, it's when he comes and breaks the routine. You see, it's about him. It's always been about him. Job 33 says that we are dependent on him. We are dependent on our next breath from him. As Peter was weeping, Jesus said to him, Do not be afraid. From now on you will catch men. In Greek it means to catch men alive. I know who you are, Peter. I know all about sin. But we're not going to go back there. We're not going to go back to that pond. We're going forward. And I know, and you're going to go, and you're going to catch men. And did he? Absolutely. First day of Pentecost, Peter's first sermon, 3,000 souls came to know Jesus. His nets were bursting once again as thousands and thousands more follow. Maybe this evening you know somebody or maybe you may be going through anything in your life where you feel like, I don't know, it's really tiresome. The world we live in today, it is, it is tiresome. And maybe you're going through a difficult time in a relationship or finances or in business and and sometimes you just feel like, I, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I can't. I've worn myself out to the bone. I know what to do in my world, but I, I can't. And that Jesus would say to all of us, never less than my word. Never less 
than my word. Continue and lower the nets. Go deeper. Go deeper. Because my world is a place of peace that passes through all understanding. As I said earlier, you know, Jesus had a purpose. He already knew what was going to happen with Peter. He had a purpose. He has a purpose for us in our life as to what he would like us to do. All he's ever asking for is just enough faith, the size perhaps even of a mustard seed, to go forward and to let him take what you give and turn that in to something that you could not possibly imagine. You know, many years ago, there was a story. A little girl named Haiti, H-A-T-T-I-E. And this particular Sunday morning, she was on the footsteps of a church, and she was crying. She literally was in tears. And the pastor saw her as he was coming to preach. It was a Sunday morning, and he said to her, Honey, what's wrong? Why are you crying? And she said, Well, because they told me there wasn't enough room in the Sunday school room. And he could tell that she probably had come from a very disadvantaged family by the way she had her hair, by the clothes that she wore. And he grabbed her little hand and he took her to the Sunday school room and he said, surely there's room for one more. There's always room for one more. And he kind of took a liking to the little girl and she to him. They didn't become best friends by any means, but on occasion they would wave at each other because of what this pastor did, what it meant to her. Well, several weeks passed by, and he never did see Haiti again. And he wasn't sure. He, he would ask the Sunday school teacher, have you seen her? No, I haven't seen her in several weeks. And this was concerning to him. And a few days later, he got a knock on the door there in his office in the church from the parents of this little girl. And they sat down, and they began to tell this pastor that their daughter, Haiti, had passed away. She had contracted pneumonia. But she really loved coming here to this church. And they asked, is there any way you could help us with the funeral? And he didn't mean just conduct it up and say something, but to have all the expenses paid, which certainly he did. And he was invited out to their little home. A few people gathered. And as he was leaving... The mother said, wait, I, I, I want to give you something. I know that Haiti would like you to have this. And so she gave him this little tiny red purse, the one that you can kind of fold between your index finger and your thumb, and it opens up. Well, inside that purse were two quarters, a nickel, and two pennies, 57 cents. Also in there is written only by a five, six-year-old girl. Dear Pastor, this is all I have. Perhaps you can use it to build a bigger Sunday school room. Now, you can imagine what he was feeling when he left that home, how touched he was. And so, the next Sunday, he gave his sermon, and he talked about this little girl and what it meant to him, and how so it moved him. He wasn't asking for any donations, but 
donations just began to come in. Hundreds, then thousands, almost $250,000, $300,000. And in the audience was a, a writer, if you will, for the Associated Press. And he picked up that story because it meant so much to him that he broadcast that throughout the eastern coast. A developer of many, many acres saw that, and he wanted to do something. He called up the pastor, and he said, I've got, I've got some land that I think you'd be interested in. You can build a brand-new church. I mean, it's a lot of land, whatever you all want to do with it. And the pastor said, well, where is it? And he was told where it was, and the pastor said, there's no way we can do that. We, we don't have that kind of money. That, that's probably a million dollars. And then gentleman said, well, I want to sell this land to you for 57 cents. And so today we could go to the great city of Philadelphia and we could go to those same grounds and on those grounds today, certainly we would find Temple Baptist Church. We would find Temple University and we would find the Good Samaritan Hospital. We're in one of those rooms dedicated to this little girl and the story of the 57 cents. So we see it's amazing what Jesus can do, what he wants to do, what he's purposed us to do. All he's asking is just for a little faith. So as we close out, once again, be thinking, perhaps someone you know or perhaps there's somebody that you feel, even yourself, are going through a tough time. And sometimes they just don't feel like lowering those nets. It's it's too painful. Just to go a little further out, and there we will find him. Oh, Lord, we thank you, dear Lord, for this evening. We thank you, Father, for all that you've given to us. We thank you, Father, as you've purposed us to be men and women of God, that you show us your plan for us, that you show us to where to go, dear Lord, to open up every area of our life, to not hold back, to not think we're an expert in something that we're not, and to surrender everything unto you. Without you, we have absolutely nothing. And we ask, dear Lord, that you bless those people once again in the entire state of Florida, that you give them refuge, that you give them shelter, that everybody help one another, dear Lord, as in your way, as in your purpose. On these things we pray in Jesus' name, amen.